Um, hey, I, I grew up with a dad who owned his own business. I don't know if some of you had a, a parent that owned their own business, but my dad had a pretty successful business, um, a very large business. And, uh, and it was funny because he, he, he kind of created it from the, from the ground up. And I was one of those kids. I was, uh, he had two sons. And, uh, and I was the youngest. And I was a handful, if you can imagine. And, um, but I, my first job was working at his business. Okay, so we would go, and my dad worked all the time. And so my brother and I, we would be with him, and he'd say, hey, you know what, I'm going to give you a job. Right? It was like, oh, cool. I was in second grade or something, third grade. And I think I got paid $1.50 an hour. You know, I called the labor board when I got home. But, um, <laughs> no. But, but, but I think he just gave us the job to give us something to do. And he, he was into fiber optics. And so it was a lot of processing of fiber optics. Really what it was is putting fiber optics in boxes. And I made the boxes. So when I got a job at a pizza place later, it was like old hat to me. Because I knew how to make the boxes. And they were just b- big boxes you put fiber optics in. But, you know, I was a second, third grader already with a bad attention span. So I would just kind of wander around. You know, and my uncle would always chase me down and go, hey, you're supposed to be working. Yeah, that's going to happen. Um, so I just remember, though, like being at this business and everybody was like, Chris, how are you doing? And they were all nice to me and they just treated me like something special. And I remember just thinking, man, that was awesome. Until one day my brother said, you know, the only reason they treat you nice is because you're the boss's kid. I went, oh, it's true, isn't it? You know, like, like I thought I was special. I don't know if you've been there, but no, it was, honestly, my dad was the boss. So, of course, they're going to treat me right, right? But, you know, that also kind of get, I used to get away with a lot of stuff after that. I thought, man, I can really get away with a lot of stuff. So, you know, I would do a lot. I, there was this little thing, and to my uncle's, much to my uncle's chagrin here, I guess, um, in the bathroom, they had this little box, and, and it was full of treats, full of candies, and full of chips, and it said, on your honor, you know, a, a dollar for this, or 50 cents for that, and I didn't know what honor was, but I knew what I could just eat that stuff, <laughs> so I just took all the stuff. <laughs> Finally, my dad came to me one day, hey, Chris, you know, your uncle's been telling me you've been taken from that, and I said, yeah, it's just there, it's fun, it's good, but nobody could tell me. Finally, my dad had to tell me, you're not supposed to do that. You're stealing. It was like, oh, I didn't know that. So anyway, it was, it was interesting. But I guess I bring this story up because likewise, what we've been talking about in just a ton is that if we're God's kids, we're going to be treated differently. There's, there's a difference that's expected out of us. And, and I guess the, the, the good part of the kingdom basics is that, honestly, we come to God not on our own merit. We come to God out of grace. We come to God out of His mercy and what He gives to us freely through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's a huge amen. Because nowhere else do we see this grace. Nowhere else can we approach God and say, I am so bad, but you are so good. And I get in not because I'm bad, but because you're good. And that's awesome. But as Jesus is ending this up, as he's really following this through, we're in his kingdom because of what he's done. But we get to a spot where he goes, now because you're God's kids, because you're God's kids, You're going to be treated like God's kids. And I guess this is the hard part for me. Not a lot of people like God. Not a lot of people appreciate Him. Not a lot of people want to be known as children of God. We live in a day and age where if you are a disciple of Jesus, 
you're going to be persecuted for it. This was hard for me. This is why I like to, to go through the Bible as it's just being read and written, you know, as it's just going through instead of picking my own topics, because I probably wouldn't have picked this topic. And I'm just being honest with you. I have a hard time with this whole, this whole topic because I don't like it. I don't like the fact that we can be persecuted, that Jesus says, hey, if, if you live and follow me, you're going to get it. If you're a disciple of me, you're going to be attacked by everyone else who's a disciple of everything else. Do you get it? And that's hard for me. And I don't like that. I, I, I want to be able to say and come up here that, hey, if you follow Christ, you'll get rich and healthy and happy. If you follow and commit to Christ, you're, you're going to have everybody just love you. I wish I could say that. But as I experienced being a kid of the boss, I've also experienced being a kid of the father. That not everybody likes him. And when I try to live in his way, for him, and show that I, that's, my, that's my father. That's, that's my Jesus. People don't want anything to do with me. And they attack me for it. And that's the hard part. And this is the part, I guess, of the Beatitudes that, that I think why, personally, as I've gone through this, I think why Jesus really ends it with the rejoice aspect. Because I don't know if, you've, if, if you saw this. Um, if, have you, a lot of you have been reading this? Going through the Beatitudes? Good. If you've been, if you've been going through the Beatitudes, I, I encourage you to keep doing it because this is one of the only ones where he says, hey, you'll be a children, you know, you'll have the kingdom of God, but he goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you. He almost explains it through because see, if we're really getting this, he's saying this is really tough. And I, it's, it's almost like he wants to tell us that there's something more that we need, the truth of how he lays it down. Let me just read it really quick. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word rejoice here is an interesting word. It's a command. Jesus is literally saying, I command you to rejoice. And more than that, we just translate it rejoice, but what he's saying is, I command you to leap for joy. Leap for joy. I don't know about you, but I don't want to leap for joy when people are abusing me. I don't want to leap for joy when people are attacking me because my dad's the king. I don't want to do that. It's hard for me. And so I think some of the easiest ways to get this is just to look at people who did. Because it's, I think it's easy for me to stand up here and say, do this, do that, and then just go home. It's a whole other thing to hold up someone else's life who did this and say, do likewise. And that's the ultimate reason why God gave us his son Jesus, so that we can say, he did it. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. Amen? And so I want to look at this. Are you with me? This is a hard topic, and I know, and I appreciate you guys being here, going through this. This is tough. I don't want to teach. I don't like teaching this stuff, honestly. I would much rather teach about, hey, love your neighbor. You know? <laughs> hey, jump for joy when you're abused and persecuted. That's hard. So let's, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read a passage in the book of Acts, Acts 16. Um, I believe it's Acts 16. But this is a great passage. And again, because I think we see people who are really experiencing what it is to suffer. And we talked about that last week, right? Suffering for everything else, but suffering for Jesus' sake. Suffering for actually being a son of the king, a daughter of the king, 
That's the difference here. So let's look at this. It starts in verse 16, and it goes like this. Once when we are, we're going to the place of prayer, now it's Paul and Silas. These are the, like a missionary duo, right? And they're walking around as children of the king. They're walking around saying, God's our father, and we just want to share with you about what our brother, the son of God, has done for you and me, Jesus. Right? This is what they're doing. And so they're, they're recounting this time of where they, what they were doing. And so they're going to this place of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love this, right? (laughs) Paul getting mad, ticked off. He he becomes so annoyed, he turns around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison's doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, and you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole household. Okay, you can be seated. Great story here. Great story. And again, I mean, to me, this is just history. This is our faith. This is, this is the stuff that our faith is built on. And I love this. So I want to point out some things here as we look at what it means to leap for joy when we are abused for being God's kids. Okay? When, number one, when we are operating as disciples, we will be oppressed for it. We just will. We'll be oppressed. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the story, we have Paul and we have Silas and they're doing their thing. They feel called to be where they're at in the city that they're at. They feel that they are directed by God to do what God has called them to do. And what happens? They're followed around for days by this gal who's shouting and screaming and saying, Hey, these guys are legit! (laughs) Basically, if you want to know about God, follow them! That's what she's doing. And to some extent, it's like, hey, free PR, right? You know, you think that. 
But that's not God's way. To be screaming and shouting and, and holding up signs and bullhorns. Oh, wait. Sorry. My own personal thing there. But that's what happens a lot of times with us. You know, Christians think we need to be out there shouting and telling people exactly what they need to hear. And to some extent, she's screwing up Paul and Silas' mission. Because they didn't come to shout at people and yell and scream and microphone, you know, and megaphone it up. They came to tell people that they are sons and daughters of the Father. And they have a, He has a son, Jesus, that loves them too. And so, to some extent, they're being oppressed. And she, in her actions, has become oppressive. There was a time in one of my many jobs where I worked for a company that would send a bunch of us to diff- different areas. And I, I at, one t- at this time, had West Covina and, and um, um, Duarte and Monrovia and all these areas. And I would go to stores. I would go to Vons and I would go to Ralph's and I would go to Pavilions. And I would go in the store and I would look at the shelves and say, yep, our people's stuff is where it's supposed to be. Yes, people actually get paid to do that. And you wouldn't believe how much people are paying to make sure they are on the center shelf. Exactly where about a five foot six woman will be able to see. Depending on the size. If it's for kids, they're paying big money for it to be down here. Weird, right? I had no idea. And then I also found out all the things like, like Clorox, Bleach actually owns Hidden Valley Ranch. And they own Kingsford Charcoal. They own everything, you know? And it was like, oh man, so you guys are the same as, yeah, okay. So we would go in and we'd represent all these, right? And I would go in and I would mark my stuff and they gave us a company car and I would drive around. I would go to all these places and it was kind of neat, you know? It was like, hey, this works out. But then I remember being on the phone because we'd have to check in and tell them exactly what happened. And the lady said to me, and this was my boss, she said, so you're telling me that this and this and this is the way it is, right? And I looked at my stuff and I said, yeah, that's what, it, that's, that's what it is. And she said, well, don't tell me that. But that's what the paper and what I saw and what it... Yeah, but I don't... Just, just rewrite it. And say that it's double that. And I said, but that would be lying. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. Everybody does it. And I said... And this was hard for me, by the way, because I had just stopped college so that I could become a pastor. And I was taking care of my family, who we had three kids in 18 months, because we had twins and it was very hard, and I don't remember much. (laughs) And I'm not saying I was all Mr. Stick Up for the Lord every single time, because I wasn't, but I remember at this time, this was something that I said, you know what, this isn't right. And I remember telling her, I said, you know, I'm a Christian. And, and I believe that God wants us to tell the truth. I don't know. And I was honest with her. I said, I don't always tell the truth. I try, though. I was just trying to be honest. You know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> don't, don't label me a perfectionist here with this or some holier-than-thou saint. But I, but I just know this is wrong and I feel bad about it. And she, I just remember her arguing with me and fighting with me and everything in between. And, and then, and then uh, less than a month later, I got a new district. They put me in Watts. South Central L.A., buddy. I was in South Central L.A. and Watts. And I remember going from Duarte and Monrovia and all these nice places to Watts where, where the Stater brothers had the, the whole shopping area was surrounded by 14-foot metal fencing gates. I was, in down, I, was in the, I was in the middle of the ghetto. 
And, and I realized, you know what? Sometimes when you're God's kid, people don't like it. People don't like it. You see, when you're operating in this world as a disciple of Jesus, you will be oppressed. You just will be. And let me just point out two things that I think, because I think sometimes we can really look at this first aspect that I just shared about in my own life. It's that external aspect of persecution or oppression. It's that external aspect. And that's that blank. I would, I would encourage you to fill that out. But, and that's that, just that aspect of what we typically think of when we're persecuted. Is that outside, someone's going to say, you stink because, it, because God's not real. Or something to that effect. But secondly, this is the other aspect. Because after I got Watts, then this aspect of oppression started. And that's the internal. Basically, the oppression that you feel from your own sinful self that is always screaming for you to run the opposite way from God. This is Romans chapter 7. In part, I really appreciate Paul's honesty here in Romans 7, verses 14 through 16. And I love the message version. Let me just read it for you. He says, I can, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long, long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. Anybody been there? I think if you're married longer than a week, you've been there. That's what our spouses point out to us many times. Hey, you said you would do this. Yeah, I'm just a sinner. It's the internal struggle, isn't it? We internally oppress ourselves. I mean, think of how many are persecuted by our own guilt that we become paralyzed. Or persecuted by our own fear, which keeps us from sharing our faith with those we love. Persecuted by our own anxiety, which grips us in the moment that we can't even acknowledge. I mean, think of the internal persecution that Peter was going through as he denied Christ. If I share, if I do this, I don't know what was going on in his head, but I can guarantee that as he was really suffering with this, he was afraid and there was fear. How many Christians are persecuted by their own past, which always seems to taunt them? And claims that's who you still are. And persecuted by anxiety. I mean, we can go on and on and on. It's the idea of that internal oppression that can be very, very difficult. Persecution is something we deal with daily. Where are you being oppressed? Number two, if it's not oppression, then definitely we will face obstacles as Jesus' disciples. Uh, the, the crowd, if you look at verse 22, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, there's, there's different aspects of this. A, a part of be, being beaten with rods in the first century, but the Romans were really good at hurting people. Um, it's just, it was their thing, you know? It's part of what happens when you try to create peace by force. you got to hurt a lot of people. So, um, what they did is they had these things called rods, and really it was just refined as much as they could at that time metal that they would beat the legs and the feet of people to the point of utter crippling so that they couldn't go walk out anymore and do those things. But the other aspect was they would take a metal rod in, in the middle of a bunch of reeds, really strong like bamboo things, almost like a, like a heavy rod in the middle surrounded by a, a grip of bamboo sticks and then they would flog them with that. Now the Jews would say, you can only flog somebody a certain number of times, but the Romans would say, do it as many times as you want. So they didn't have a law. So we don't know how many times they were beaten here, but we know they were beaten severely, it says. 
The magistrates ordered them to be stripped. And after they had been severely flogged, these are the Romans too, and they were good at this, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, some of you have seen the kind of the old school idea of stocks where they would put, you know, put their head in there and that's probably what they're talking about. They, so imagine being beaten so severely that you're just oozing. And, and I don't want to get too graphic here, but let's, let's be honest. It doesn't take much for the human body to start oozing. And they're beaten. And then they're put in these nasty wood stocks. And you didn't have a carpenter going, oh, I want to make sure the inside of this feels really good for these people. No. Splintery, worn, and gross, and other... And no one washed it. How many other bleeding people were on this thing? You get what I'm going at? In the inner cell, where they don't give you food, they don't give you water. Back in the day in the jails, they don't take care of you. The way they would take care of their prison population is by starving them to death and, and basically just not feeding them or giving them water. And they would die of all sorts of diseases. So here they are, and they're sitting in this cell. Not even sitting, I mean really just kneeling in a very uncomfortable position and oozing and horrible. This is some serious obstacles. By the way, I think it's important that they said they were stripped because Paul was a Jew. Silas, when you get this, that is the uttermost horrible form of humiliation to an ancient Jewish person to be stripped naked. I mean, it's humiliating now. If we were to strip somebody naked and beat them, that's, that's, but see, what it says more to that person who's been stripped, it says to everybody else, this person doesn't even really exist. This person is a number. As the Jew, as Jews were given, uh, uh, numbers in the Auschwitz and, and, you know, concentration camps, this is the, to the same effect. This person is no longer a person. They're just an animal to be led to the slaughter. It's a horrible form. And the physical abuse, thrown in prison, fastened in stocks, can't go anywhere. The future is unclear. You see, we face huge obstacles when we stand for Christ. We just do. We will face humiliation. You will. And if you don't believe me, go to your place of work that maybe, okay, if you don't have a Christian place, all right, let me, because maybe some of you, I know some of you work at camps and some of you, you know, like I work at church and this is a given, but if you were to go to a normal place, I mean, kids at school and they're sitting around, I mean, think of the high schooler sitting around the table with all his friends and just say, hey, can I share with you about the love of Jesus Christ? You're going to face humiliation. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. I mean, to us, it's, it's, it's so amazing to know that Jesus loves us. But if you try to share that with people, it's a crapshoot, isn't it? There are always going to be obstacles to following God. When you go where Jesus goes, you will face obstacles. You just will. I, I remember when, when God called me to be a pastor. My wife and I had a time of fasting and prayer and we just were really seeking and I was at Azusa Pacific University at the time and, and I was a young guy and I had, we had one kid at the time, it was great, um, and it was only one kid and it was easy. Um, you know, and it was right before then and I just remember hearing his voice clearly and he said, I want you to feed my sheep, I want you to be a pastor. And I thought, awesome, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'd like to say that there were no obstacles and the very next week I got a job as a pastor and there I was. No, no, not at all. In fact, the more I said, okay, God, I want to do what you've called me to do, it's like everything hit the fan. 
Everything started to happen. And it wasn't all good. I remember I had a full ride to Azusa Pacific University. I mean, they were paying me to go to a premier school. I had the president's scholarship. I had the, I'm not telling you this to brag. I don't know how I got it. I'm stupid. Okay? But the truth is, they gave this stuff to me. And I'm like, woohoo, it was a great school. And I was like, awesome. And then we had three kids in 18 months. And we weren't trying to necessarily. We thought we were doing everything that we're, you know, to keep that from happening. And I don't, I don't regret a day of having my kids. But I remember being out there and going to school. And my wife said, I am going crazy. And someone's going to have to comb my hair in the insane asylum. <laughs> you need to do something. You need to do something. I had to quit everything and go work at a pizza place and clean up urinals after softball parties with grown men. It wasn't pretty, okay? It was not pretty. I was a, I was a star student. And now I'm cleaning up urinals and delivering pizza and going, God, you called me. Why am I here? <laughs> I mean, obstacles aren't always just being put in stocks physically. Sometimes it's just the way our future is going. Our present is now. And I know some of you have said, but this is what God's called me to do. Why is it not happening? I don't get it. I don't either. But I know God's good. And if He's called us, He's going to lead us. And His own Son went through it. Amen? And Paul says later, he says, I count it beyond comparison to know that I'm suffering like my Savior suffering. Amen. He leapt for joy. It's not easy to leap for joy when we face the obstacles. By the way, if you really are just struggling with faith and struggling with the obstacles and struggling with oppression, I recommend Hebrews chapter 11. It's a great passage. And it's the passage of faith. And really what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's just saying, look at all this stuff. Look at all these people. You know, when we look at them, we can see that God was doing something. And that's that part. As we face these obstacles and this oppression, a persecution, we need to maintain a godly perspective. And Hebrews 11 is that godly perspective. It's an excellent, excellent passage. But I'm just going to read verses 32 through 38. Look at this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in half. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Do you get that? That's huge. You see, when we're God's kids, we're not promised a rose garden, but we're promised a Savior who wore a crown of thorns. That's awesome. That's faith. You see, faith isn't knowing. It's not knowing. But what it is, is taking your full weight and setting it 
in the hands of God. And that's hard. That's hard. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. God is bigger than any obstacle, amen? He's bigger than any oppression. So I guess my question is, what are your obstacles of persecution today? What are you going through, internally and externally? And are you looking for God's perspective? Now, I want to offer up in this last couple of minutes the response, because it's easy for us to just focus on this and say, now buck up and just go out and do it. But it's another thing to know that there's an actual response that God has for us. I love this, because this is Paul, man. He suffered. He came to Jesus and he suffered. And if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. And I'm sorry about that. I wish I had some magic pixie dust or I wish my wand wasn't in the shop because I would wave it and everyone would be happy. But it doesn't work that way, does it? But I'd rather be miserable for being his kid than being miserable for being an orphan. First response, and really the only response, is we offer up worship and praise to God. I love this. Here they are in stocks, hurting, oozing, you name it. And what do they do? About midnight. They've been in there a while. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I, I don't know what you would do, but I'll tell you what I would do. Ah! I would scream. I would be angry. I would be complaining. I would be grumbling. Because that's what I did when I got put to Watts. <laughs> that's what I did when I had to clean the urinals. But I tell you, once you get this, and this is what Lord had to show me, and it didn't take right away. I think there's a reason why it says about midnight. Maybe they just had to keep encouraging each other and saying, man, what is it that God wants us to do? And finally, they get to this point where they say, we need to just offer up worship and praise to the God that sent His Son to suffer for our sake. I love this. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul later sheds light on this, by the way, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The word of Christ is Jesus Christ. And everything he said and all that he is, let it dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with what? Hitting them in the Bible with the Bible? No, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness. I love that. See, Paul and Silas have a heavenly perspective. Eventually they get to the point, sitting there next to each other, unable to do anything, unable to go anywhere, unable to scratch that soap and sore. And they say, we can complain, and we can pretend that we're orphans again, or we can, we can realize and understand and know that we are children of the King. And we can offer up our praise to that. Because no matter what they do to us, no matter what they do to us, they can never take away our God. And they can never take away what Jesus Christ did for us and what he wants to do through us now. So let's sing, brother. I love that. You know that wasn't an easy response. How can it be? When we offer up worship and praises, we connect with the God that not only sees us, but sent his son so as to identify with us. And that's what they did. You see, I love this part because when we do this, others will overhear and take notice. Others will overhear and take notice. If you notice that, other prisoners were listening to them. 
I love it. You know, the other prisoners are in there too, right? They're stuck, and who knows why they're there. Maybe they were bad dudes, but, you know, they did something, and they're there. And of course they were listening, because here's these guys just brought in, right? Think about this. They're bleeding, they're hurting, they're in trouble, and now they're singing? Who does that? Who does that? They're probably going, what are these guys, off the rockers? Are they nuts? Are they a couple chairs short of a, of a full set of chairs, you know? They got a couple of cards missing from a full deck? So maybe nobody's in the attic, right? Maybe nobody's home. The lights are on. Something's wrong. That's what I would think. I mean, someone's walking around bruised and beaten and they're like, Yay! Praise the Lord! I love the Lord. Sing them. I mean, I'd be like, what is wrong with you? But whether you know it or not, people are watching, people are listening. Your family will overhear you. Your kids know. They're not stupid. They know. Your work overhears. Your school. We don't live in isolation. We live in a community. And that community is watching. And see, when we respond with praise and worship... God will open up the floodgates of grace and mercy and he will act in outstanding ways in the world around you. I love this. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. As it does in an earthquake, right? It's designed that way. It's the only flaw. It's like the Death Star. The only way to blow it up is to fly right in the middle and drop a tiny little bomb. Other than that, we're good. So the prison's built that way. It's, it's all fine until an earthquake happens. Then the doors will just open up. It's crazy. I don't know how that, we designed it that way. It just did. No! Why does that happen? Because God's working. I love it. This is awesome. So the, so the prison doors fly open. Oh, and of course, everyone's chains come loose. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's a very specific earthquake. <laughs> right? I remember in, 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 in the 80s when we were in Pasadena in the, in the Norwalk, I think it was Norwalk or one of them, man, it shook and things were falling and crazing, but it wasn't like all of a sudden the TV turned on and some toast was made or something. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, that knew exactly what I wanted to do, that earthquake. No, this is specific. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. You bet, because if you were the jailer and you had someone leave, you died. The only way you moved up as a jailer was because your predecessor lost somebody and they killed him. That's how serious it was. The Romans were very serious. There's no failure. You fail, you're dead. So he's about to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted. I love this. Why does he care about the jailer? He's oozing. He's bleeding. He, or he's in stocks, or at least he was, but they'd fallen away because he's got a heavenly perspective. He knows God's working. He knows God's working. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling. He was terrified. Here's a man that's seen torture, that's seen death, and he's terrified. Before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I know I'm lost, help me. I know this is God. And everyone knew that God is real. You see, when we don't ignore the suffering, but we enter into the suffering and we say, my Lord suffered too, and there's a purpose for this. I know the obstacles are going to happen. I know there's going to be oppression, but I am going to offer up praise and worship. And not just like a Pollyanna cloud silver lining thing, but a real thing like this stinks, but God is bigger. 
then God is at work. God is still in the business of opening the prison doors and loosening the chains. And there are people in your family that have closed doors and chains. And there are people in your schools that have closed doors and chains. And there are people in your work that have closed doors and chains. And there are people that go to church that are closed doors and chains. And God is in the business of using you in your suffering, in your hurt, in your abuse to offer up praises and worship. And those chains will fall. The doors will open. Amen? That's what it's about. God is at work. He's not done. He has a plan and He has a purpose for you. And I know that when I offer up praises that earthquakes happen. I know it. I know it. And I've seen it. And God wants you to see it. I used to challenge kids. I remember being a youth pastor and I'd have kids going, man, I'm too cool for this. It's boring. It's old school. There's nothing in here. Jesus is old and there's rules and I'm like, you're not understanding it. You don't get this. This is revolutionary. This is the biggest adventure you're ever going to have in your life because when you're a child of the king, man, are you going to face it? And he wants to do something in you and he wants to work through you, but you need to be open to the fact that you are commanded to leap for joy in the midst of it. This is the main truth of responding to persecution in God's way. This is why he says rejoice. The truth of God's love and power becomes obvious to those around you. If you just want to add something, I added this later, it's not even in your notes, but if you want to add this, this to me, hit me. The truth of God's love and power becomes obvious to those around you. When Jesus died on the cross, love and power became obvious to those around. Same with Paul and Silas. And you can go through the Bible and you can go through the lives of the saints and I'll sit down and talk with you of the times that God's power and love became obvious through the midst of the persecution through the midst of just stepping up and saying, I'm his son. Bring it on. You get it? I'm sorry for getting a little excited. I'm probably going to go home and sleep for three weeks. Just wait till we have two services, okay? It gets better the next one. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads, okay? Because I just, I, I just want you to get this. I really do. Because I need to get this. I need this. It's so easy to come before Christ and say, make it better. Take all the pain away and make my life roses and cupcakes. But honestly, where is God's glory seen in that? I'd rather just have a genie in a bottle that I rub and has come out and I make wishes to. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came and gave himself and suffered for you and me. To know as we sit here in our oppression, as we sit and look at our obstacles, to know that we can have a heavenly perspective that says, you are not a citizen here. Our home is in heaven. And our Savior sits at the right hand of God, interceding, tapping God's shoulder saying, that's my boy, that's my girl. Help her. Help her. Help him. And as we offer up, others will see. And others will take notice and say, wow, Christianity's legit. That's, that's the real deal. 
That's not some pie-in-the-sky theology. That's right now, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my struggles, in the midst of my oppression, in the midst of my obstacles, God hears. God sees. And God acts. As the church, we want to connect you to this God. We want you to grow deep into this God. And we want you to serve alongside us with this God. That's our prayer. Father, we thank you. We love you. We can't do it without you. We know we will face persecution because of your son Jesus and your righteousness which you give to us. But we want to leap for joy in knowing that you are doing something. Help us to offer up praises. I know there are people here right now. I know my brothers are suffering. I know my sisters are suffering. But you suffered to identify with us. So I pray, God, that as my brothers are struggling, as my sisters are struggling, this is our family. We offer that up to you and we praise you, not with hearts that are overlooking the pain, but are addressing the pain that are looking right at it and giving it to you at the God that suffered at the foot of the cross. We give it to you so that others might see and others might know that you are God. And hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen.